to the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons. Ever wondered what it would be like walking the hello fairways of Augusta alongside Tiger and not just once? Or the tingles of making your way up Magnolia Drive knowing what's to follow? Or being fired six times in a hole and banned from speaking by your boss? <laughs> well, Kiffer's done it all and he's with us today with a caddy's guide to the Masters. Uh, and I better correct myself, it was the hallowed fairways, not the hello fairways, although I'd love to say hello to them. Kipper, how are you going? <laughs> it wasn't six times, it was six times on the first hole. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, good to be here, Mr. Philip, and uh, God, I love Masters Week. It, it, is a, it is a great week, and it's a, a great week, and unfortunately, um, our other man, Shooter, can't join us because he's slaving away on season three. Um, yes, about to of- be out. About to be out the old season three. It's exciting. Yeah, not not far away. Well, if he does his job and tweaks the right tweaks, it's about to be. Uh, it's about to be out. He's got to try and make me eleven percent better looking, which will take me up to twelve percent. And he's got a lot of work to do on my vocals uh, and uh, any of my pronunciation word usements like emancipation. <laughs> anyway, exactly. Right. Anyway, so we're going yeah. to get straight into it. So basically, here's how this is going to work: is I'm just going to throw questions at you because this is as close as I've ever got to Augusta is a mate bringing me back a stubby holder, which is magnetic. And by the way, if you ever have the chance, you've got to get yourself an orga- a magnetic Augusta stubby holder. But yeah. you've got a bit closer than that. So now here we go. So winners are allowed to invite a guest for the round on the Sunday before the Masters. It's a mm. tradition that they can bring a guest along. Given how close you are to the shark, how come he's never invited you? Now that was brought to you by the lovers of SGL and Shark and Norman. Um <laughs> well, you just said winners. Yeah, exactly right. And I just wanted to rub that in because I'm trying to shake the hate because I watched the replay of 86, 87, oh. 96. Uh, 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 um. we, 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 honestly, like, I think most Australians remember where they were. <laughs> I, I do. I was in a pro shop at Dorset Golf Course, a public course. It's actually built on a tip. And uh, I still remember being in that pro shop Early morning, I opened up and, and just was the – I don't think I've ever been more angry in a, in, a, in a setting in my life. People were coming in to play golf and I'm like, what are you doing? Why aren't you watching the game? And then it just all fell to pieces. Oh. I, I do still love the fact – so I loved in 86 the sweat. You could see him getting more and more nervous and it was reflected in 96 with the gripping and the reg- – sorry, this is not about Norman. This this is almost all that Norman will be spoken about until we get to the worst <laughs> shots ever in Masters history. But but this the idea of knowing that everyone's watching and the gripping and re-gripping. But, but here's yeah. the question. Which champion who has won the green jacket would be most likely to invite Kipper for a round at Augusta on the Sunday before the Masters? Four. Uh, Jeez, not many of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I reckon I could get a Guernsey uh, from Adam, uh, occasion or maybe. And, um, geez, I'd like to say Sergio, but I'm sure that he's got other friends that uh, <laughs> he highly rates above me. But me and Sergio used to hang out a lot when we were young. Um, uh, I haven't seen the guy for, you know, literally for basically 10 years since I've been over there. But, uh, yeah, we used to... Yeah, hanging a lot. So uh, the surge is probably my be my first phone call. 
Uh, right, okay. So here's your challenge before next year. One is you have to make contact with Sergio and ask him whether he's a fan of golf barons. So that's the first thing because if the answer to that is no, is what? what? Um, and secondly, you have to get on at Augusta on the Sunday before the Masters. You have to just plead with him and say, well, you can't take your mates again. Surely you've run out. Hmm. Well, I was supposed to be uh, play there a few times, but it just, it just never happened. Um, with Bads a couple of times, he was going to get me a, a run, um, and uh, and even Allenby was going to get me on there once upon a time, but never never eventuated. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still high and dry from playing the, the, the great course. But based on the stories you've told of Allenby, it would be likely that he'd say, come on, come on, we're playing Monday, I got you on, I got you on, and then you'd get there <laughs> and there'd be the wide overalls. <laughs> and he's be a stitch up. Oh, did I mean that you were playing? No, no, no. You just get to caddy for me again. Yeah, yeah. It'd now, be a stitch up for sure. Okay, so moving right along from from that. So Operation Sergio, you got twelve months. Oh, yeah. To go. So Easy. Serge, to I'm happy to caddy for you, <laughs> and and Shooter can caddy for Sergio. Um, now, given that Augusta, so obviously it's loosening up a little bit, and given that they allowed the Dude Perfect team um, to come and film their antics with. Bryson de Chiambio, um and all the rest at Augusta. If golf barons were to be given an opportunity to do some filming at Augusta, what do you think, what challenge or myth would, do you reckon would we prioritise <laughs> and film at Augusta? What is the one thing that you could have the most fun doing at Augusta well, as golf barons? Because uh, apparently they're going to let us do it. Oh, yeah, yeah easy. Um, it'd be so, Honestly, it'd be something around. <laughs> Around Amen Corner, right? the challenge would be simply this: to get through playing at less than a double bogey a hole. Right? That'd be <laughs> that'd be the challenge, right? Just see if you can get through those three holes, six over the car, <laughs> and, and to, uh, that's it. Because I reckon someone, including me, would have a ten on one of those holes. Yeah. So, mate, can you avoid a ten? So yeah. you get. To, so maybe <laughs> yeah. that's the point: is, is can you avoid a ten? And you only have to play three of them. Right. But there's <laughs> got to be cameras everywhere so that you start to feel the pressure. Or we've actually just got to pretend that we're Norman um, and yeah, just well, see whether we can actually push through. Um, geez, I'm, I'm going a little bit anti Gregory. Yeah, no, you've got to lay off on the, on the great, the great shark. He, uh, he had a mischief. I do. And as soon as we get off to this, I've got to, uh, I've got to take the dog for a walk anyway. So we'll be, we'll be fine. Now, what would Augusta rather us not know about? Is there a secret that Augusta would rather – like they Look, kind of think everyone knows, but they'd rather us not know. I reckon, honestly, because of the world of um, social media and just media in general now, you find it a lot more about a lot more things because people are posting about them. So there is a, I guess, secrets being uncovered about Augusta, but just I guess all courses and everything for, for yeah. a lot more over the last twenty years. But when I first went there um, in, in the late nineties, early two thousands, it like there were so many things you didn't know. Right, You'd, I didn't know, and no one really talked about the fact that they they had telephones in trees. Um, that they, they did. You, you open up parts of a tree. It looks like a tree, but you open parts of it, and there's a phone in there. Right? And then you can ring up and order your food. Like, they, like, like they get had, smart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly like get smart. Um, they have telephones. Uh, sorry, uh, cameras uh, in trees. But back then, you know, cameras in trees was just sort of unheard of um, and yet again hidden and they could spy on you all around the course. So there were certain things that uh, were, were, you know, secretive. The whole place was quite secretive, really. Um, the, the front nine, no one ever saw it. Like, no, that, that was secretive. What does it look like? How come they don't show it? Because um, they wanted, you know, only patrons who go there to, to have something special to yeah. take from it. Well, that's really changed, um, uh, you know, for, for the betterment, really. We now know so much more 
we get to watch the warm-ups. I, I love that on the range stuff they, they show now. It's just intriguing. Um, but the one thing I think that still surprised me, I guess, and they don't talk about that much. I'm sure some of our viewers or listeners will um, will uh, know about it, but they they literally fake the blossoming of all of the flowers on the entire course, right? So, And the reason I know this is because um, the first year on, on – um, on tour over there uh, playing Augusta, we got put up or we got friends with these people and, and got put up um, to stay at uh, Graham and uh, Graham Michelle, I think their names were. Um, anyway, they were uh, basically, they run flower departments in Augusta and their whole job for the, for the year really is to make sure that the flowers bloom at the right time. And they bring in um, truckloads of ice and they ice all the garden beds for weeks leading up if it's hot. If it's not hot, they bring in like heat pads. You know when you go to bed and you and you put in a rice pad in your in your microwave and cook it, and then you you colour your rice pad if you if your back sore. But they they've got like huge ones, like you know two meter rice pad things that they heat up and they ch- like. So it's how, incredible. How big were Graham and Michelle's microwaves? <laughs> I know. Well, I actually don't know how they heat them up, but <laughs> I assume it was in like a storeroom or something. Or a, I don't know. Yet again, another mystery. Um, but yeah, they used to fake the blossoming so that they could bring it on or, or, or take it away. And um, the only time that I, I've not seen that happen was obviously the COVID year. And I had a giggle to myself because there was nothing in bloom, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you can fake it to a point, but Mother Nature wins eventually <laughs> if you take it in a different season. Or they got fired. Yeah, that's the only. So yeah, no, that, that, that'd be the only uh, big thing I think. Still, it's quite secretive that those flowers will always be on show. I can promise you. And what I suppose, as an extension of that, what what don't you see in the coverage? I mean, now we've got pretty well full course coverage mm. now because there's cameras everywhere. But what what don't you see? Um, well, you, you still don't see a lot of the, um, I guess, the infrastructure behind. Uh, the main clubhouse and uh, what's actually quite surprising there because I haven't been there uh, to Augusta since I think 2007 or 8 was my last time there um, I haven't been there since so that's a long time and now the practice fairways are completely different to when I was there um, you know they've got double ones they've got you know clubhouses that kind of back onto the practice fairways so they've got a lot more um, uh, building and, and and they've moved like that that used to be a car park that that, that the now the one of the practice fairways is in so but around that area like you've got to remember that they've got almost the most tractors that you've ever seen to mow a golf course you know and they have them on one hole so they've got huge storage facilities to not only house their um their equipment but then some of the the infrastructure that they need for the tournament so you're talking about grandstands they, they keep them a lot of them on site um and then the marquees that they have for merchandise. Now, this is one little story that I love because it's unless you go, you never see it, right? And my first time on tour, we got there early, of course, um, a week or two early, and, and you could just see these huge tents in the in the I guess background area behind the behind the clubhouse, and I'm like, oh, they must be corporate marquees. Of course, me just thinking about yeah, you know the corporate yeah. the corporate world that you have on every other golf tournament. They don't have corporates. <laughs> They don't do corporates, right? There is no such thing as an Augusta being a corporate, right? You're just a patron. You go in and everyone experiences the same stuff. It's so like these marquees, yeah, <laughs> these marquees are only there for merchandise. So I got to go in this thing 
And I went there, I think it was like the Monday or one, anyway, one of the days where there wasn't many people had, had got to the course that early and there was really, um, you know, hardly anyone there. I went into this, this marquee and, and it's like walking into Bunnings, but for Augusta. And I'm not exaggerating. It, it is incredible the stuff you can buy. You know, teddy bears with Augusta logos. Um, any, anything you can think Magnetic, Yeah, he's probably old. There you go. No, anything you Thanks, can Trey. think of. Yeah. And I was like a kid in a candy store, and everybody is. So anyway, I went in there, bought me a bunch of stuff, a see-through cup. I got this, I got that. <laughs> yeah, anything you can. Um, and then I was talking to one of the, uh, the the green coats, we call them, but one of the officials, and uh, he was telling me that, you know, they could make a lot more money um, if they sold, obviously, throughout the year, but they don't. They want to, yet again, give something to people that go to the tournament that no one else gets. So you can only purchase merchandise um, and Augusta logo stuff if you go there. And um, he gave me some figures back in the 2000s, and he said that if uh, he goes, you know, how many patrons come in, they kind of keep that to their chest as well, you know, how many hundreds of thousands come in there. But he said the average spend per person through that marquee at, back in 1999 or 2000, was $880 average spend, right? So uh, and then we did the math that week because we found out how many people. There was over $45 million in merchandise sold that week, according to what he told me, right? That's in a week. Not many stores are pulling 45 mil of sales in a week. So I understand now why they don't need to sell throughout the year. (laughs) Everyone just loads up when they go there. So, yeah, that's a... The infrastructure around um, what you can get there is 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 they never show and and and, and it's phenomenal. Now you told just because you mentioned the green coats, and I know you've told this story before and potentially more than once in a podcast, but I, <laughs> I love it and I want to hear it again. What was the story about the drinks being on the wrong side of the tea? Oh yeah, well that was Mickelson and um, uh, Bones McKay was telling me the story because he came off the course and and uh, he was in shock because. What effectively happened is that they'd got down to the seventh tee. Um, in the old days, the seventh tee, you could hit, a, hit an iron off. It was quite a, a short hole. Now it's a bit longer and the tee's back behind the, um, the sixth green. But the tee was forward of the, of the sixth green and it was really narrow tee box. Anyway, Phil jumped on there, wanted to hit an iron off the tee, wanted to shape it um, for him a left hand, wanted to shape a, a little cut down the fairway. So he wanted to be on the, on the right-hand side of the tee box. So he went to tee up next to the little, you know, the wooden stump they have down there that, that um, marks out where you can tee from. And the drinks can that you get your water from or whatever drink you yeah. want out of um, was right kind of in his way for a left-hander if he stood off the tee block. Now, he did. He stood yeah. off the tee block, but his ball was inside the hitting zone. So he just moved it about a metre, right? Anyway, goes on, plays the rest of the round, and then um, Bones is walking off 18, and there's, you know, thousands of people everywhere, and He's getting through the crowd and he gets tapped on the on the shoulder by the by the green coat and the green coat says, "Oh, when you've got time, can you come and see me?" And Bones is like, "Oh, you know, you, you actually, you know, that means come and see me now." <laughs> so, so Bones like, "Okay." So he walks off to the side, and and the guy goes, "Look, on the behalf of Augusta National, we want to officially apologise um, for having the drinks canister in your in your way on the seventh tee." And and he goes, "Why did someone?" You know, it didn't, didn't matter to us at all. We just moved it. He goes, that should never happen. You should never have to be interrupted, you know, playing this golf course. You should be able to play free and, and uninhibited the entire way. So we officially apologize for that. And he's like, well, how did, 
how did you know? Who told you? He goes, oh, no, we just watched on the cameras and, and thought <laughs> yeah, we'd wait until <laughs> the time was right to talk to you. So Bones is like, God, yeah, you can only imagine thinking about doing something out in the course. He goes, oh, I've never, ever thought about hitting a ball or doing anything underwater because they'd be on me like nothing. What what do they do to the – because it's one event where you don't hear too much bubba buoys and getting the holes and, and all mm. the rest of it. Is that – is that just you don't? Because it was interesting. Here's the, here's the context, is that we're watching the, the AFL, Buddy Franklin kicks his thousandth goal and everyone pours on from everywhere, you, you know, and, and the game stops for six and a half hours because a guy kicks his goal. <laughs> Warney gets 700 wickets and not one person thought of invading the pitch. Like, yeah. Like, so what happens? What's Augusta's version? Is it, I mean, obviously it's not Buddy where they pour on everywhere. I, I can tell you what it is right now. You're frightened. <laughs> no, you are. You're frightened as a patron. You're frightened as a caddy. And you're frightened as a player of doing anything wrong <laughs> because you know you're never coming back, right? Uh, the first year we were there, Bads misses, um, lips out on 18 to make the cut. The most devastating moment of, of my caddying career and definitely probably his entire career because um, had he made the cut, he would have played real well on the weekend because yeah. – um, I made him have a four putt on 10, uh, which cost him yeah, the Yeah, we're going to get on to that. <laughs> yeah, anyway, long story short, um, this is the cut by a shot. And uh, we've got tickets for the weekend. We've got heaps of them, like about you know, five, six tickets. Now, those tickets were selling for about $7,500 US a ticket, right? And so we're sitting there as two little young kids, no money, amateurs, right, thinking we've got 40 grand US in our hand here, right? But you can't sell them. Because they're all uh, coded. When you go through, it gets scanned. They know who the tickets come yeah, from. Yeah. They've got cameras there. They've got the whole lot. So, of course, they just go to waste because you you, you can't do anything, you know, away. you can give them away maybe, um, but you're not allowed to even do that half the time because they need to know who's coming. So, well, back of those days. Anyway, lo- what's annoying about it is <laughs> you just can't afford to do anything wrong because you know that you're never going to be allowed back. So, people toe the line. And, and that's why you don't hear stupid comments because that'll be the last time they ever go. They'll be out within a minute and that'll be it. Have they got different sizes of green coats whereby they've got the guys in the triple extra large <laughs> who swing in and just sort of pick people up and remove them? <laughs> you know what the best part of that is? Uh, no, I think to be one, you have to be over 70 and <laughs> you, you, you don't even need muscles or brawn to be able to you know get someone out of the venue. You just literally look at them. And that's enough. That that's enough for that person to go. Okay, I've uh, I've had enough here. It's the Augusta, the Augusta Mafia. <laughs> Although I'd love to be invited there, so I, they're excellent. I, I find yeah. that their their performance on every level and their professionalism is outstanding. Yeah. Like well, everything at Augusta. Well, they are. Well, I got told off for lying down. Like, we've told that story before because they, they just said, Augustus, for viewing, please don't lie down. So I had to sit up because I was tired on the par three course. So yeah, they. Uh, and that was sure on the you, par three course. Par three course. And I was, about, I was about 50 metres away from any hole or tee box. I was just sitting on the bank and decided to lie backwards. And that was that was not, not in play. <laughs> I didn't know. So what's the ratio of green coats to patrons then? Like it's you always on to you. That's the best part of it, Philip. You can't see them. They're like little <laughs> ninjas hiding behind trees. They could be in trees. I don't know. Like you don't know. They're just everywhere. But you don't see them. So, yeah, I don't know. Don't know how many there is. I wish I could remember the name of the agent and get smart. Anyway, so there's a couple of things. Now, just the only um, – well, not the only serious thing. Um, who wins? Oh, um, you know what? It, it, it's, it's got to a point where I, I think it's 
it can't be any anybody but basically someone who's playing really solid at the moment because it's just I don't know you've got to you got to get a run on with um with your play around Augusta so you could really see someone that won't surprise many people like you you know Cam Smith for example they're putting exceptionally well they're hitting the ball pretty well but the thing about Augusta is there's always someone out of that um leading bunch that just hasn't done anything for ages <laughs> that shows up. Now, whether they can get a lot across the line or not, I don't know. Um, obviously, the the big cat, uh, yeah, he's he's actually extraordinarily confident. I, I watched his interview this morning. Um, he's I don't know if I've seen him as have as much bravado about his own game, minus the you know the walking side of it. He's fully confident in the way he's hitting it and, and his entire game. So. Oh, I mean, it'd be an incredible story if he even contends, let alone, you know, actually won. Um, so, I don't know. I'm terrible at these things. Yeah, um, so just give, normally, just give us a name so we can move on. I normally go with Tony Finau. <laughs> I'm sure he's playing. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. Well, well, to your point about, to your point about um, you know, normally needing to come in with form, um, but every now and again there's one who's coming in without form who's going to win. I'd like to congratulate formerly Xander Shoffley for getting the monkey off his back and finally winning a major. <laughs> I'd love to see him, though. I mean, he's a jet, isn't he? Um, uh, it'd just be then, nice yeah. to see him because I think he smiles like he actually is happy as opposed to like he's yeah. been told to. And I reckon, um, and, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name incorrectly, uh, yeah. Jaco Nieminen, I reckon he's a chance. Newman. <laughs> <laughs> No, he is. He's hitting the ball incredibly yeah. well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a chance. I think he got – I just saw before he's paired with uh, the Tigger in the first round. So, um, yeah, that'll uh, that'll test him. Well, how would that test him? Because you might have a bit of experience about being paired with Tiger in the first mm. round at a Masters. Yeah. What, what, what the hell goes on? And can you drop as many names as you can? Well, I can drop lots here. But um, I think I was – Cutting twice now at Augusta where we've been paired with Tiger in the first round. Once with Bads, once with Allenby, 2000 and 2005. Um, and it's just more of a show. But the thing about it is you actually can almost get in a bubble and play pretty solid. That's the one thing I will say is when you're with Tiger as opposed to ahead of him or behind him, um, it's actually a lot easier. Because uh, everyone, you know, marshals and whatnot are, are really looking out for things. So they're they're clearing if you're in the rough. They're clearing crowds before you get there, and they're paying a lot more attention to your ease of play. But plus, you're in in a bubble with him where you've really got to concentrate on your own game. Otherwise, you'll get caught up. If you just watch, you know, if you sit back and be a spectator watching him play, um, you, you never play that well. So you sort of almost it's it's good. You get the blinkers on for yourself, and the the course gets its own blinkers on because the security and everything's doing its own thing, and the crowds are, are have got to be looked after. But if you're ahead of him, that's the worst because um, people are running up on you all day. No one cares about you yeah. <laughs> at all. Um, and behind him is also a bit challenging because all you ever – it's like you – I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's like um, you're just the, the pathetic little golfer that's trailing. <laughs> like You just see the crowds continually running off on you and the roars and the whatnot, and then you tap in for birdie and there's someone that stayed behind because they get a bit puffed chasing and they just hear that. You know, that's your your Bronx cheer. So it's um yeah, I don't know. It's playing with him I don't think is as hard as, as being in front of behind him. So you get the people recovering from COVID who all of a sudden are the biggest fans of your work <laughs> just because you happen to be <laughs> exactly in the group. Right. <laughs> yeah, they stick around and look at the uh, the brochure. Oh, who's this bloke coming through? Well watch him. 
<laughs> so what's the what was the the aura like? I mean, where where did it did panic set in at any stage? So you're standing on one tee. As soon as you knew you were paired with Tiger, was there? A, I mean, obviously you're dealing with two players who are elite anyway in, in Bads and, and Allenby. So that yeah, it's not the first time they played. Well, I think for for me as a caddy in both of those instances, um, I actually felt quite calm. And I think to be fair, both both of my players did too, because at that point Bads was. He was the number one player in the world amateur-wise and he was playing exceptionally well. Like He hit the ball. Didn't have to worry about uh, poor performance, I suppose, yeah, is, yeah. is the best way of putting it. And Alamy in 2005 was one of the hottest players in the world. You know, he'd just come off the Triple Crown. He'd nearly won TPC. Um, so we came to Augusta with a different headspace. We would come to Augusta thinking we could win it. So uh, those two instances, it was more, right, let's go. You know, we're playing with the greatest player in the world here. So... <clears throat> what a what a perfect test. Um, but I reckon if you're playing a bit scratchy <laughs> and you know yeah. it um, and you somehow get paired with him, the, the worst is if you get paired with him in the third round yeah. because he's had a bit of a shocker, made the cut by a shot, and, and you've made the cut by a shot by sinking a bomb on the last, and all of a sudden <laughs> you're paired with Tigger in round three, <laughs> and in the back of your mind you're like, please don't shoot 85. Um, uh, that's definitely different than going in with a, a hot ticket knowing you can play. So, yeah, that, uh, I think it comes down to your general, um, uh, I guess, performance. Because a, a very close friend of the uh, the show, not that he knows it, but but Chewy in being on Cam <coughs> Davis's bag had the joy mm. of of having Tiger join him for a few holes in the practice round. And right. um, and via another uh, mate of mine phrase, it came back that, you know, sort of how did that come about? And everything just got held up in the practice round. And before you know it, you sort of you look behind you and Tiger's playing and then creeping up and and do you want to join, you know, do you want to join? Oh, can I join in your group? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, I was looking to play with a couple of mates, but, yeah, that's okay. We've got a gap. <laughs> um, so he, he no doubt would have been nervous asking permission to play a few holes. Um, but... But in terms of um, in terms of that that nervousness, is there an aura that he's got? Because I remember many years ago, yeah. Greg Norman walked past. I remember at the um, might have been the Heineken or something at Royal Melbourne, and I felt him walking before he got to me. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. Tiger there, have that? Yeah, there's very few uh, people, or I think anyway, like athletes, I guess in in the world um, that have that presence and and he's definitely one of them i mean you got your jordans and you, your people that you're like almost you're taken aback you, you notice something about them oh geez he's smaller than i thought or he's taller than yeah. i thought or he's this or he's that and you're you yeah you're sort of yeah a bit bit awestruck i suppose tiger's got it because he obviously obviously he's, he's uh you know probably the greatest ever lived but it's also he, he, i don't know like he's he's very uh, what would be the word um He's not abrupt, but he, he's he's very matter of fact in the way he'll talk to you on, on a tee box or uh, walking off a tee box. There's no chit chat. There's no like right. you know, you know well, what did you do yesterday? Did you go to the shopping mall? There's none of that. Right? Yeah. It's just you've either got something to say to him or you haven't, and vice versa. And so, um, I f- I think it's almost hard to break the ice chatting with him. So from that point of view, when you're actually playing with him, it's even a bit harder because you don't want to stuff up and say something stupid yeah, um, yeah. And, and silly. So, yeah, like uh, I remember like for, for a little caddy it's even worse because you, you know, you're nothing really. You're not a player. You're not good enough to be there. You're just, you know, toting a bag trying to help someone who can. Wearing, and I remember white, with wearing a white dress. That's right. And in Ellamy in 2005, um, 
it had all got a bit tough for us around the <laughs> around the turn. <laughs> and walking up thirteen, and um, I'm just like, well, I've got to say something here. I, I just have to. So I'd, I'd seen his boat um, the week prior down in the uh, the harbour um, in uh, in Florida, and his boat is incredible. Like it's the size yeah. of about fifteen houses. Um, anyway, so I thought that that's me opening. So uh, yeah, I led with that walking up the fairway on thirteen. I said, geez. I, caught your boat the other day, uh, you know, Tigger. I said, it's incredible. He's like, and he just straight away into it because he must have felt it as well. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm like, yeah. I said, you know, I said, well, Andy, what do you got on that thing? What are, can you land a chopper on it? And I just started talking and we literally talked for the next hole and a half. Um, and, and that that hadn't happened in all of the other encounters that I'd ever talked to Tiger on a golf course. It was always he'd answer your question and that would be it. And that's because he's obviously concentrating and all the rest of it. But yeah, he probably... He, he clearly needed needed a bit of a buck up there as well. Yeah, and uh, and stuff me drunk on the fourteenth hole. So another couple of holes later, he holes out for on the second shot. Uh, so he hits driver and then he hits an eight iron in the hole for eagle. And of course the crowd goes Ken Bruce and, and of course I just I add a bit of rapport. So the Dion runs up with a big high <laughs> five and. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that because I'm like, had I not had that, it would have been like, do you high five? What do you do? Yeah, do, you, do, you, do you hug the person? Do you just, <laughs> but no, I went in for the big, the big high five. So, um, yeah, that was timely. And was that when he replied with, well, tomorrow I'm going to Mackinac. I'd like me to take you through the drive through <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, no, it was a classic. But that shot was incredible because he, he only had a bit of foot to land it because the pin was high left on 14 and, it's one of the most impressive holeouts I've ever seen because, like, he just didn't have a, a spot to ha- hold that shot from. And so did, you gave so. him the right yardages. It's just while you were doing that poor old Allenby, <laughs> you said, oh, did I say plus five? I meant minus five yards. And all of a sudden he plugged it in the face and missed the cut by seven. What's the, move, moving on, because it can't all be about Tiger. What's the yep. hardest shot on the entire golf course? Well, there's, I reckon there's two. Um that shot actually on 14, when the pin's hard left on 14, what's really difficult to see there is that there's the huge tear in the front that takes up half of the green that if you're short of halfway through that green, it just comes straight back to you. So yeah. that's one part of 14, but it's got also three tiers on the top level, like steps that go down to the right. So if your pin's cut hard left, um, it's really difficult because you've got to kind of almost swing a drawer in there to hold the tear. But if you go too far, you finish left of the pin and yeah. you're just dead because it's all downhill with a sh- to the, with a chip shot and it'll almost r- like like steps continue to run down 30, 40 feet away. So I think the shot on 14, if the pin's cut left, is extremely difficult. And the one I would not like to hit is the shot on five, my approach shot. That green is brutal on five. Um, huge f- false front again. Half the green is a, is a just a massive elephant on the on the on the yeah. middle of the putting green, um, and then the back tier, which is where the pin is, always you've literally got five to seven yards to land that thing. Um, so, and sometimes coming in there with a five iron, like yeah, that's the shot I reckon that I would pretty much take triple bogey on each time. Yet surprisingly, they're both shots that Norman never had any trouble with. It's just that he had trouble with some of the others. So, which lead <laughs> you've got that's your fourth Norman. That's it, you're banned. <laughs> the worst shot you've ever seen hit at Augusta, either via coverage or live. And how many of them were by Norman? <laughs> no, well, coverage-wise, <clears throat> looking at the um, uh, the footage, one of the worst shots you'd, you'd have to say. Yeah, you know, a couple of Spieth's dumps. Um, <laughs> I, I just, my heart broke for him. But he just, yeah, they, they were just extraordinarily poor shots, weren't they? And and 
hit about three inches behind the ball. They, they, they were as, as bad as a dump gets. Um, so they, that, that, they're up there. Um, live? Ooh. Worst shot I've seen live. Um, just trying to think if we've hit one <laughs> or if the players <laughs> hit one. Uh yeah, I think one that one that think sticks to my mind is um, we had, a, I think, a, a trap shot on 16 uh, and it was Rory Sabatini and he was in the, the front trap. And he anyway, he took, he t- took five or six because he's thin one over the back and then, he, and then he couldn't get under the top tier in a second and it just compounded his problem. So live would have been Rory Sabatini. Um, but, yeah, from a, a vantage point of, of lately, anyone on TV would probably speak so where would Norman's second shot into 18 in 1986 rank, you reckon, in the well, list of most disastrous well, shots when under pressure that anyone's ever hit? Yes, disastrous. I mean, that is a disastrous shot because he obviously hit it way right, had the wrong club, went easy on it, opened it up, and away it went. Um, other, than that, was it, other than that, he flushed it. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, when I think of disastrous shots, he still had a way of – like, I mean, it was a bad miss because he, where he put himself, but – it didn't end there, right? He could still truck on, whereas some players, it just ends their tournament. Like, you know, I, I, I think back to even uh, poor old, uh, what's his name? Uh, little fella. Uh, Tommy Nakajima, you're not going to go down no, there. No, 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 he played with, I think, Tiger in the last round when Tiger won in 2020. Um, he had the tournament in control. Um, Molinari. Yes. Oh, yeah. When, uh, yeah, his, his, yeah. Yeah, his capitulation. Like, <laughs> They're worse shots, in my opinion, than a flail right of Norms. Norms is, was a poor decision, I reckon, and then Steve Williams will, will, will tell you, it was a poor decision before he hit it that cost him that shot. Um, shouldn't have hit that club. But, but, but he still you know, just opened the blade. But those other ones are like, that's it, you're done. That's, but he still had, he still had a chance to get up and down. He still had a chance to you know, get in a playoff. But, but once you start to you know, have shots that go in water there <laughs> over yeah. and over. You, you, I don't know. It's almost like you might as well just hand your bag back to your caddy and go, right, we're just walking in. <laughs> That's yeah, it. We're done. Um, we're finished. Now, now, you mentioned I was going to bring up 96 because one of my other favourite Norman shots it was his second shot into nine in 96 where he landed it probably only 15 metres shorter than he should have and spun it down the front and then pretended that he got unlucky. Um, but on the day he was playing with Feldo, and you've, you've referred to in the past in conversations about playing a practice round with Feldo mm. and a practice round with Appleby. Now, you mentioned that Appleby told you everywhere not to go. Mm. Is he the expert on telling you where not to go, or was Feldo? My perception of Feldo being Captain Negative, much the same. Yeah, so 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 different those two around. We played practice round back to back actually. One with uh, that, that, that was that, that was White stuck um, stuck out so much. One with Appleby, um, two thousand one, I think it was, and uh, then nine holes the next day with Nick Feldo um, when I was cutting for bads, and it, it, it was. A different. I mean, I know Feldo had done extremely well around there, so so he probably had a sense of calmness as well. And Appleby was trying to help um, Aaron so much, so so he was really trying to tell him all the the places not to go, so that Aaron could um, you know strategize yeah. the places he should go. So they were just coming at it from different ways to achieve the same objective. But Feldo's um, ability to talk about how to strategize around that course was it was unbelievably good and so calming like he would you know how he sort of talks soft 
like he's a soft sort of, you know, okay, we're going to close talk. Like that, yeah, yeah, close talk, yeah. He sort of had a soft approach to to the game as well. Like it was, it was really nice to walk around and hear him. Like, for example, we played a back nine with him and had a shot in the 15. Bads had a shot in the 15 and so did Feldo's second shot um, into the par five. But it was like the way Feldo would talk to him about playing this shot, like a smooth eye bomb draw and you want to hit it here and land it sort of 15 feet inside the bunker and draw it across the slopes and towards that centre part of the, of the green. If it catches the slope, it's going to then feed another 15 or so feet and you'll get, you'll get a good 30, 40 um, feet of roll left to ro- uh, right to left. And uh, But the way he was talking to him about it, it was like artistry. And yeah. Aaron got over the – I think we had a four-iron in the practice round. I can't remember. Um, but Aaron got over the shot and it was like all of a sudden I had the utmost – um, sense of calm going, oh, he's got the shot. It's the easiest shot in the world. Just hit it out there on the right and just feel it. Like it was, it was like it was yeah. such an easy shot. Now, <laughs> if Bad had turned to me and said, oh, you want to hit this? Oh, like, there's no chance yeah. I'm hitting that green ever. Like, I'm dumping it in the water every time or thinning it and it's going over the green into the yeah. back water on the 16. But Fellow's ability to be able to um, talk about a shot or a, or a strategy of play and have it sort of make it sound easy that's what really shocked me about that nine holes. I mean, you're playing one of the toughest nine holes and one of the most strategic nine holes in the world, and yet the way he thought about each shot was was just calming. So, yeah, it was real, really stood out to me, Aaron. Whereas Appleby says, if you're dumping in that trap, you're dead. If you're hidden yeah. over there, you're dead. Yeah. Don't go under exactly that tree. Exactly right. And, and that's – yeah, Apples is um, – yeah, you know, personally too. He's up and about, and he's you know yeah. talking. He talks a lot. Like that's that's so the way he was describing, of course, like uh, oh, make sure you don't miss it here because you know if you, if you miss it there, you know the ball's gonna roll off. You'll take ten uh, if you block, block it right there. But yeah, it was a different way of explaining um, where to go, and, and a real I don't know, like yeah, a real artist's way of explaining it, and just sort of gave me an insight into Feldo. We never play with him again. Um, and, uh, you know, Feldo had he, uh, held his cards pretty tight to his chest yeah. his entire career, really. Um, but it gave me a sense of why he was as good as he was. He was just methodical, but he was really quite calculating and calm. So really what should have happened is that Appleby learned his way to navigate around Augusta thanks to Norman telling him where not to go. <laughs> so he just tried to pass it on. Uh, it's just neither could actually do it. Um, as a caddy, so Augusta as a caddy, um, where does it rate, and, and in terms of importance of your role as a caddy when you go around Augusta, how, how critical is it? Well, like I'll say two things about this. For me personally, it, it was the it's the most um, intense and diligent you have to be as a caddy in order to help your player, you know, win. But then you you look at some of the players that have won with, you know, like Jack Nicholas is a great example, 86, with Jackie on the bag. Jackie was a good player and he obviously knew his craft, um, but I reckon Jack was listening to himself a lot yeah. down the stretch more than being, let's call it, um, have his hand held by, by a caddy. Whereas you see um, Michael uh, Gradier and, and Spieth,y more as a unit, so there's different roles a caddy will play. Jackie that day with with um, with Jack was it was just a wonderful day for him and a wonderful day for Jack, like being so, father and son and out yeah. there in contention on a major. So the sense of calm that's that's all Jack needed. You know, being a strategic player in Spieth,y he needs more than that. So it, it, caddies have different roles, and <clears throat> excuse me, 
And I found my role at Augusta, you know, became quite strategic with the players I carried for there because of how precise they were as individuals anyway, right? I mean, Allenby was one of, if not the greatest ball striker I've ever seen or witnessed live. And his ability to control a distance on a shot, I've never caddied or seen anyone as good as that. So I had to be right on the money with not only the yardages, but with the guesswork on the yardages, the air temperature, you know, the elevation changes, um, the humidity in the air. pressure. Absolutely. I had to be really on that. So I'd get up in the mornings at four and five in the mornings and, down- and download stuff from the weather station when it was changing and good old Hector Pascals and <laughs> you name it. I was looking at it. Um, and just to be across it as the day changed and as the, as the, the Augusta heated up because it's, that's one thing about Augusta. It, um, it goes from cold to hot real quick, uh, quicker than maybe anywhere that I've seen, to be honest. I'm not sure why that is there, but it, you can have a hot day and a cold day uh, within you know a few hours and, and extraordinary temperature change. So you've got to be across that in terms of ball flight. So as a caddy, I found it extremely intense. Um, you know, Putting is another thing with the, the lay of the land and reading greens and, you know, the, some of the slopes, you, the, the putt breaks four ways. Like, you know, it's, in so many courses you play where you're like, okay, let's talk about the putt here. It's breaking four ways. <laughs> like it's a hard conversation to have. Um, how, did so, man- how did you ever manage to read a putt without straddling the line 75 times facing five different directions and holding multiple different fingers up at different points in time and holding the field up? <laughs> how did you ever get through? Like how did Bads as the best putter in the world – Ever sorry, I've just got to get this off me. How did he ever survive and become the best putter in the world without straddling the line eight hundred times as kids are now doing, and mm. holding up five fingers and four fingers, and then sometimes they're together and sometimes they're apart? I just don't understand how he ever coped. Well, you'll love this, right? Because at last time that I I trained with Bads was in two thousand and fourteen. <coughs> Excuse me, frog in my throat. Um, and this sums up how. It, why he could putt as well as he could putt and why there's a bit of a uh, <laughs> an issue going on with all this green reading. I get over to Arizona. He's on the putting green. Um, I'm having a putting comp with him. And I notice all of a sudden that he's not even looking at the hole ever. And I'm, I mean ever. Like he, he, we would go, oh, let's go over to there. And he just put his head down and hit the putt. And not lining it up. So I said to him, mate, you've changed your routine a bit. He goes, yeah, for the next three or four weeks, I'm just not looking at the um, – at the break i'm like well how do you know where it's going he goes you just know and i'm like oh, oh yeah and he goes and proceeded to towel me up on the putting room right yeah. <laughs> and it, because his awareness of slope and his environment was incredible right so look there's some merit to people being very analytical i get that um but some of the greatest in anything they do are just good at it because they're good at it. And, and Aaron's ability to just know where to hit a ball on a putting green because he can kind of see the slope, feel the speed, and and, and understand the undulation was nearly second to none that, I, that I'd witnessed. So, yeah, the old uh, finger up and straddle the putt, and he would laugh at that. Okay. Or he does laugh at that. Yeah, yeah. More <laughs> to the point, he does laugh at that because – yeah, uh, he knows that he's got them covered if it ever comes down to a punting competition. Oh, absolutely does, yeah. So so what's the biggest mistake, a caddy, getting back to caddies, what's the biggest mistake a caddy will make this week at Augusta that will have an impact on their player? What should I, what do they need to be aware of? What do I need to tell Chewy to not do with Cam Davis? Biggest mis- the biggest mistake a caddy can make is not saying what he thinks because it'll happen. It'll happen, I would say, every third or fourth hole if there's a slight breeze. 
he, and, and, and Stevie Williams honestly really opened my eyes to how open and honest you have to be, but also how accepting you have to be to failure because you will stuff up, but um, you've got to be in a position. Yeah, you've got to be in a position to never regret what happened, right? And therefore, if you feel a breeze in the back of your neck while your player's over the ball and about to hit it and you've already taken 40 seconds to you know do your stuff and you know that's going to cause an issue with the rest of the group and all the rest of it, you've got to say it. And so therefore, my biggest um, tip to any caddy out there uh, over the week is if you think it, say it because you can always have a discussion over how that's not the case, but you can never take it back uh, once it's done and the ball goes in the water or goes long or they take double. So, yeah, think it's, uh, it's, your, it's your, your must-do at that course. Well, we, that's awesome. Um, what Now, there's three Australian rookies um, in Minwoo Lee and Lucas Herbert and Cam Davis. What advice would you give them heading into the week that they won't hear if they only talk to another player? Yeah, probably uh, carry the ham and cheese sandwiches, at least two or three of them in the bag. That would be <laughs> – those ham and cheese sandwiches are wonderful oh. at the, uh, the little tuck shops around the joint. So get them in your bag. Uh, that's the first tip. Um, the second tip would be uh, try not to try not to overthink – really try not to overthink the course. That would that, be my biggest tip. And I think that's what happens the more you play there because – you'll go one way or the other. You'll either start to see some clarity in the way to play it or you'll start to see some issues with every shot. Yeah. Um, I remember the first few times that I played it, not played it, I caddied with Aaron. We played with Phil Mickelson the first four or five times around that joint. We went there a few weeks early and had game after game with Phil. And Aaron didn't shoot anything but, I think his worst score was like three under. His best score was like six or seven under the first four or five times we played it. And I can tell you now, the conditions weren't, too different to tournament day. Greens were maybe a little slower, but that's about it. Tees were the same, grass was the same, wind was the same. Um, but you just play golf. Yeah, you, know, you see it, hit it. But the more you're out of that course and the more you have some bad experiences, the more that can play a role. And then you can also start to play protective golf and then you're gone at that track. Um, whereas the greats, the real greats, um, the ones that win it multiple times, um, they – just learn how to play it and they think about what to do in a positive light rather than, geez, I, I, I've, I've seen myself hit it there before. They put that out of their mind. So, yeah, I would just say the biggest tip to those three three um, young lads is is go play your game and try not to overthink it. If you've got a number um, that your caddy's given you and you like it, hit it, um, trust it and play. Um, and talking about overthinking it, what's going on with Spieth? I'm just going to uh, – this is purely just a coaching <laughs> question that I need to also ask. There's some weird gear going on. And the other day yeah. I Googled what's going on with Spieth's weird gear thing <laughs> on the range backswing thing. And Google, using its AI, knew exactly what I was talking about and <laughs> immediately fed me the videos. What is he – because I think he's actually a real chance. Dead set, he will finish top five if he doesn't win it. Uh, or he'll miss the cut by 15. What's he? What's going on from a coach's now, perspective? Yeah, two uh, things I'll preface here is one is that I've got no idea because I'm not uh, privy to anything he's working on, so so I will give that as a disclaimer. But my take on it is this, is I think by that weird takeaway, weird backswing, weird halfway back and weird transition, <laughs> what he's trying to do is take the arms a little deeper on the backswing, not the club, 
but the arms a little deeper on the backswing, right, to in- enforce an early turn in his in his chest cavity and, and hip. He's trying to stand the club more upright as he does that. So he takes it deeper, but he doesn't get the club um, laid off or flat. So he's taking it in, but leaving it steep. And once he takes it in and steep, there's only one way for that club to go for a good player once he gets to the top, which is a very big layoff and shallow, which you know follows suit with his super, his big boat or supinated left hand. So he's, he's trying to guard against taking the club out a little bit with his arms, rotating a little bit with his arms, which shallows the club too early. He doesn't then get turned. The club is too laid off and he basically gets, you know, very almost um, pulley and cutty across that ball coming down. So I think that's what the drill is designed to do, but I honestly have no idea because I'm not his coach. And it's worth looking like that and getting laughed at in order to achieve these outcomes. Is that what pros have to do to make these changes? Yeah, with well, training it's, it's aids funny, or yeah, it's funny, you know, because what I I loved watching because it's the first time I seen it yesterday um, when I watched the, um, the the rain session at Augusta, seen his little funny drill. Um, what is incredible about that, and what I tell anyone listening to this podcast, the one or two people that are, is that <laughs> go, me and you go out there and try to do a certain let's call it swing thing with your swing, film it, and see if it's any different. Right? It's actually extraordinarily hard to look different. Right to be different, to have a different biomechanic in your, <clears throat> in your swing. So, and for an elite player to be able to you know manipulate their swing and actually honestly stand the club up, get deeper with the arms, lay the club off more on transition, it's 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 a very difficult thing to do and a very a good art to learn because you're effectively changing your motor skill and changing your body mechanic, which is going to change the result. Whereas most people meet not even halfway; they meet like a, a quarter of the way. They kind of feel a little bit different. And that's it. They don't actually make a physical change. So when they go to their coach, um, the coach says, "Oh, you're a little bit, um, I don't know, you, 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 you're not, you're standing up through the ball, right? Just feel like you actually, you know, compressed your, your chest a little bit." Well, if that's a pro, he actually goes to the to the course and actually squats and compresses maybe two to three inches just to get the feel, and over uh, over exaggerate right. the, the the move, and then hopefully you meet somewhere in the middle when it's game day. So yeah, I think it's an it's an art to be able to do that. Um, yes, because you've often mentioned that the problem with a feel, as opposed to a specific move, is that you'll wake up feeling different on a given day, and then that mm. feel just disappears. Yeah. Or is that just an excuse you offered me for being crap? <clears throat> no, look, it's, there's real truth to that because your body is different every day. We all know that. Um, the older you get, the, the more different it gets. <laughs> it gets you know tighter and all the rest of it. So if you're just relying on a certain feel, that's extraordinarily dangerous. I mean, I explain it like touching your arm with your hand. If you touch your arm with your hand and touch it a thousand times, it goes numb a bit. So you've got to touch it harder to get the same sensation. And that's how a feel-orientated goal swing works. You, you, you start chasing what you thought you felt like, and then you can dig a hole because yeah. you go too far. Yeah. Um, whereas a fundamental or a, a movement that you can kind of uh, lock in or know where the where the actual area is, you can't overdo that because it's a checkpoint. Um, so with Spieth doing what he's doing at the moment, he's definitely trying to um, stand the club up and lay it off and get the arms a bit um, deeper, I think. And that's he's trying to do that as much as he can in a practice swing. And then when he hits it, um, as you can see, it's not quite the same um, as the exaggerated one. And he'll move away from that drill once he's, him and his coach have done enough of it to, to achieve the change. Um, yes, so he's either top five or miscut. Now, here's one for you. If Tiger wins, 
Will it be the greatest sporting comeback in history, in your opinion? Well, in golfing history. Yeah. We start there because I don't know the other history. Yeah, no, that's okay. Amazing. But from golfing history, and so, and if it, and let me just add an, an additional one to that. If he does win, why would it be? Is it a better comeback than Hogan's? Yeah, well, I think Hogan's is the only other one that kind of matches this, um, and. It is better than Hogan's. There's, there's, yeah, there's okay, no you're going to need to justify uh, your position because I've got uh, a counter be, position. Well, because because of a range of things, like you know, the Hogan accident was obviously you know really horrific and all the rest of it. Um, he didn't have the medical attention. <coughs> excuse me, sorry. He didn't have the, uh, the medical assistance and the, and the knowledge that the doctors and, and everyone has these days. So he nowhere near um, had the ability to to improve as quick as Tiger has or anything like that. But you know, if you just look at Tiger's game and swing over the 25-year period, I don't know, I really don't know any other golfer in the history of the game that has changed their swing so significantly and yet still can win purely due to body issues. Um, he swings so different than it was 25 years ago. It's incredible. So for him to come back from now really having a – a leg that was questioned whether it would be chopped off or not. Yeah. And regardless of how much it hurts when he transitions his weight or anything like that, in my opinion, it's a greater comeback than any other golfer because it's not the first time. It's about the fourth time, right? We forget that he broke his knee winning US Open. He tore ligaments out of his um, <coughs> leg doing some SAS stuff or whatever it's called in, um, in America. He's back fused. He's come back from all of that and still won. This is the fourth time that he's coming back from, and this is horrific injury. So, and he's old. He's he's old. Like, so yes, this, in my opinion, you know, people might argue, but I think it's the greatest comeback by a mile if he if he wins. So, so given all the discussion around transgender uh, and <coughs> in in sport, should bionic people be allowed to compete with? <laughs> others because in reality he's and i do i think I'm, I'm torn with the whole hogan you know given that he had he had less medical um knowledge back then broken pelvis broken ankle but he also had longer time to to get his groove back before his big year in 53 so so tiger mm. it is it is quite remarkable um but should there be a point where if you've got part robotics uh you're not allowed to Compete now. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that he is robotic, but you'd think he has to be given all the things that you've pointed out. He looks fit as a fiddle, but there's no way those legs are his. He's the new Steve Austin, I reckon. <laughs> well, I don't know. If that's the case, if you can swing it like him and, and uh, get some bionics in you that do it, I'm lining up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> sign me up. Just give me a new set of arms and torso and pelvis, and uh, I'm happy to play like him if, I, if I'm bionic. Now, only a couple more questions for the Caddy's Guide to Augusta. What's it like walking around when no one else is there? Yeah, that that I'm glad you asked that question because that to me has been my most precious memory of the place. Um, I've been there five times, I think, and each time I've told this story before, but each time I stand on a on the eighth hole when everyone's gone, and I, and I just look down at all the Georgian pines and the sun setting through the trees. And I just take a moment because I, I never know if I'm going to be back. And yeah. and I haven't been back now since since 2007 or wherever it is, and I may never be back. Um, so walking around there with no one there, the caddy car park, as all caddy car parks are, is miles away from the clubhouse, yeah. Yeah. right? And it's down near the back of the course. So you get to actually walk basically from the – you leave your, your playing partner from really usually the, the practice fairway. You walk straight to the caddy barn, you take off your overalls, you hang them up in your locker, and then you walk through and around sort of butler cabin 
um, in the, the clubhouse, and then out to 18, and then across the course to your um, to, to, to the I guess the entrance on the far side. And if you do it late enough, there isn't a person around except some ground staff obviously yeah. starting their work for the night. And it's calm and it's quiet and it's extraordinarily open. That's the part that is very um, uh, different than when patrons are there. When patrons are there, you can really see the lay of the land and it doesn't look as open. But when there's no one there, it's it's an expanse of land that's just beautifully kept, right? And if you get there early in the week before the – the patrons have walked all on the outside of the ropes. It's all one colour. It's all yeah. incredibly. It's like having um. <laughs> best I can describe it, like you got a little uh, backyard and you mow it and it looks nice. Well, imagine that's going for hectares. Like it's just beautiful. So, walking it at the end of that day and, and no one around and it's calm and you can just hear some of the birds. It's, it's some of my greatest memories of the place because it's it's just quiet and it's like it is. It's like walking in heaven. Or how I imagine heaven would be if there, yeah, if it is. Oh, let's not go. If there is one, let's not go down that track now. No, no. no, no, no. If, if, if there's a if there's a golfing heaven, that's yes, it. that that is that is golfing heaven. And we always like to finish with a bit of a, a, a tale from the tour. Uh, and you mentioned something about Mickelson and a bet that you didn't know was a bet. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> at Augusta. Yeah. So I want to so I want to finish with with a bit of it because I think Mickelson Mickelson deserves a little bit more airtime. Um, and it's oh, he's, he's having a rough run. Week, the, he's having a rough run, the big fella, isn't he? Um, yeah, I'll just on that. I hope, he get, I hope he comes back at some point and, and uh, yeah, gets to play again and, and is happy to be out there because it's a travesty if he never yeah. walks the fairways again. But anyway, um, the old Phil, uh, the <laughs> we played there. When I say we, I didn't play at all. I just walked around because you're not even allowed to caddy at Augusta on the um, – the days that aren't tournament, you have to have a caddy from Augusta. So when I say a caddy to Augusta with Bads and Mickelson, I didn't. I just walked. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, I had a yardage book and I was telling him what to do, but I'm not allowed to touch the bag. I'm not allowed to pick up the bag. I'm just walking next to him. Um, so, yeah, a few weeks out from Augusta, first time we go there, Bads is an amateur and, and I'm just an absolute young upstart, never never seen the place. And, of course, Phil loves, loves a, a little wager on things because it keeps him interested. So... And it's not the first time we'd, we'd played against him, and uh, or not the first time I'd lost money either. I'd lost a lot of money in at La Quinta betting against him because I was I was chirping too much and, and started well, and he got me. So I, I knew that uh, he plays he plays for for keeps. But we had this game, and it was it was um, split six split sixes, but he, which is just a game where you you know you you basically playing sixes and playing threes, and 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 but he started betting with. Um, basically presses. Now, we hadn't bet with the way that he does presses, and it's very confusing. I won't bore people with it now, but basically, it's basically as soon as you get automatic one down, you start again, you start another game. There's so many games going on. You can't keep track. So we go out there and we play, and, and we we know we're doing okay, but then Phil makes a few birdies around around the um, aiming corner. We're in a bit of strife, and we're coming up about 16, and, and then so Phil just stops the, stops the, the game, and he's like, oh, okay, so here's where we're at. You're down on this press. You're down on that press. You're level on this press. You got this. I'm like, oh, okay. So he goes, do you want to press the presses? And do you want to do? <laughs> and and we're, we're just two little young kids. You know, but you can't say sort of no to one of the greatest players of all time. So we're like, all right, okay, press. Yep, let's do it. So we're walking up. I think it was 16, and we hit a good shot. Bad six, good shot in there, and uh, makes makes par. But then 17, 18. We start talking about. It. I'm like, what is? What? How much money have you got on your bads? And bads is like. I've only got like 50. How much you got on you? I've got like 20. I said, I don't know. We're playing for 
isn't it like twenty dollar presses? I said, I'm trying to do the math. I think it's a fair bit. I don't really know. And he's like, Yeah, I don't really know either. Anyway, <laughs> we get up eighteen, and um, Bads wins seventeen and makes a birdie. And so then Phil gets on eighteen and just um unloads with this diatribe of presses and what to, and he goes, I'm going to press that press, I'm going to press the match, I'm going to do it. We're like, uh, okay. So we walk up 18 and Bads hits it to about eight feet. Phil hits it to about 12 feet. Phil misses his putt. And I walk up to Aaron and I said to him, mate, i got no idea how much we've got on the line, but i got a feeling if you miss this, right, that we're swimming back to Australia because we have not got enough money on us to pay for whatever. Anyway, Bads is like, yeah. He goes, I'll just, I'll just make it. How about that? I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> so down the in the jaws, and Phil shakes her hands and walks off, and he goes, oh, geez, he goes, how lucky did you guys get? I'm like, yeah, yeah, lucky. And he goes, yeah, you were over a 1000 bucks down, coming up 16. And he goes, and you've just walked up, walked off 300 up. And I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. Um <laughs> So me and Bad's got the clubhouse, a thousand bucks. Like, how the hell are we going to pay for this? So yeah, it, uh, be wary of the games you play uh, with the Philip, uh, the big Phil, and uh, understand what you're betting because you, you, we would have been, but well, we didn't have any money at that point. So yeah, we would have been stuffed. Fantastic. And on that note, we're going to bring this Tenuous Links Masters Edition, The Caddy's Guide, uh, to a close. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can subscribe at golfbarons.com. Um, we've got uh, Season 2 on 9 Gem this week and on 9 now for the next few months. Season 3, uh, as Shooter slaves away on it, is going to be ready to, to release it sometime soon. Kipper, thanks very much for all your stories and tales from Augusta. So uh, I can't wait for the week. I'm excited. Oh, it's just going to be awesome. Uh, and until next time, Barons, add some swagger to your swing. Goodbye. <laughs>